welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of director video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood, Trey Styles, played by Desi Arnaz Hines II and Cuba Gooding Jr., is sent to live with his father in South Central LA during his formative teenage years. As he attempts to finish up his senior year of high school, Trey leans on his close friends to discuss the nuances of romance, plans for the future, and to navigate the dangerous neighborhood they're living in. Screenplay by John Singleton, directed by John Singleton, and released in theaters nationwide on July 12, 1991. Have you seen Boys in the Hood before? Yes, I have. Me too. I can't remember the first time that I saw it anymore. Possibly high school. I'm not sure. (laughs) Um, So, okay, did you watch it at a friend's house? No, I would have watched it just on my own. when I started to really get into movies in high school. Okay. Just to kind of catch up on some of the classics. Um... But I also know that when I was in college, we had I was working with the film festival down there, and we brought that in for one of the, you know, the, the like non-competition a... screenings. So we oh. bought the print and had like a midnight movie um, showing of it, and I watched it then as well. But that was the last time I saw it, so it's been, I don't know, close to 20 years now, I think. So I forgot that, I mean, getting to spoilers like right away, I forgot the thing with Ricky happened so late in the movie. I thought it was a lot earlier. Oh, I thought that was the... Well, it is the end of the movie. It's but basically I, the climax, yes. Yeah, but I thought it was like, that's how the movie ended. Mm. But, um, I mean, the the last time I saw this movie, I probably was in high school, but I thought um, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character was the one that got shot. Oh, like, it's been so long that I thought it was him. Because the whole movie is kind of, like, focused on him. Right. And, um, so, but I thought the death was, like, the end. Like, you know, shots, death, end. Like, right. uh, there was nothing afterwards. Like, it doesn't show, like, the revenge scene and whatever. Right. The stuff that happens after that. Like, the last 15 minutes yeah, and I thought it was more about dealing with the aspects and, and the um, the mental anguish of the death and then also, you know, retaliation and how far do things go and, you know, the back and forth of, of what is essentially a, a gang war in a way. Um, but no, you're yeah, it ended up being mostly at the end. I, boy, I don't know where to start with this one, to be honest with you. I, I'd I mean, say... it starts off with Trey as a 10-year-old 
Yeah, it starts in 1984, where all of them are, you know, in elementary school. But it's him. It's not really... I mean, when he moves to his dad's house... Then it's the rest of them. It's the rest of them, but... It shows, you know, I I thought this was interesting. It's like a white teacher teaching about the importance of a Thanksgiving. (laughs) Right. Which, I mean, that subject matter is, the way she was teaching it is like how you would have been taught like in the late 80s, early 90s to be like, oh, and this is how the Native Americans and the pilgrims became friends, basically. Yeah. And this is how we celebrate Thanksgiving. And then you see Trey giving... He's just acting up a little bit. He just speaks up a little bit in the classroom. And then she, the teacher's like, would you like to teach the class? And he's like, yeah, okay, sure. And then he talks about like how everyone in his school, we all they were all descendants of someone from Africa. Right. Like the first man was found in Africa, in Africa and then we so are everyone all... is a child of Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then it turns into like this altercation between him and another kid in that school, and then you know the teacher calls his mom Reva or Reva. I don't remember, to be honest with you. <laughs> Reva, I think. <laughs> she, she's not in the movie very much, and I don't remember how many times her name is said out loud. I think just a couple of times. Yeah, she, but that. Angela Bassett is Angela his mom. Angela Bassett is the mom. And this is like a, when she picks him up from school, she's like, okay, well, according to this contract we made between the two of us, you gotta live with your dad now. Mm-hmm. And then she just brings him to his dad's house so his dad can raise him to be more of a mature young man because she just can't do it as a single mom and she's also going to school. Yeah, she's working on her master's degree, but I think also what the movie is insinuating is I can teach you certain things, but your father needs to teach you like how to quote-unquote like be smarts. a man. Yeah, well, right? street smarts are, I don't know. Yeah, be a man. She's like, I can't teach you to be a man, even though, like, you can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, women do it all the time. Yeah. But, I mean, I think there's, you know, with certain kids, I'm sure they're not going to take it seriously if it's coming from their mom as opposed to their dad. Some of the same lessons. So I think that's part of it. It's like, I've I've done what I can. Now let's see what your father can do. Mm -hmm. And, And it's that type of a thing. And then I thought his dad was, when I was younger, I thought his dad was, like, more of a hard ass. Yeah. But he really isn't. No. He's just teaching him chores and structure. Like, yeah. how to keep busy and, like, stay off of the streets, basically. Yeah, I mean, basically, as soon as he arrives, he makes him rake leaves. Like Yeah, and then his the friend's... Day. His fr- and then it's implied that he comes to his dad's house, like, on the weekends because, mm-hmm. you know, his friends see him. They're like, hey, you want to hang out, blah, blah, blah. And his dad's like, no, you got to rake leaves. But he doesn't, Trey doesn't, you know, give any attitude. He's like, okay. Like, he's not yeah. like, oh, can I hang with my friends? Right. And, like, begging or anything. He just says, go ahead and rake, and I don't want you to do anything and 
but rake the front lawn and then you come when you're done you come and see me for whatever else I want you to do yeah and, and then his friends to... go off to play but he's not like oh man I don't know he he doesn't like give he is but he doesn't give the verbal pushback yeah right like, there's there's the one scene the one conversation inside the house where he's basically saying well, I have to do all these different chores when they're laying down the ground yeah, yeah, yeah. in the house. Like, what do you have to do? He's like, well, I have to pay the bills. I have to feed you. I have to, you know, keep the roof over your head and everything like that. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, this is, like, even even going. And, and, yeah, like, that pretty much shuts Trey up right away. He's like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to pay the bills. Yeah. It's like, yeah. So, there you go. That's that's how that works. But, I mean, he's he's a little tough emotionally. But that's about it. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's not distant, but you can tell that he, he puts on, like, an armor. Furious, the, the dad. Yeah. You know? Um, but, you know, he's not, like, mean. Right. I, I When I was younger, I thought he was mean. Like, meaner. Yeah, like, more strict. Child perspectives. Yeah, because yeah, I was, like, the same... I don't know, probably the same age. I'm like, yeah, I want to play with my friends. Right. And then I also felt like, you know, I mean, I was raised similarly where I had to do my chores before I could do, like, anything else. Right. So I was like, I identify with that. <laughs> At that point, I was like, yeah. But then, I mean, I probably gave the same thing. It's like, I gotta do everything. Mm-hmm. Like, as a little, you know cocky 10 to 12 year old yeah i mean that's that's just how these things are yeah um but then it kind of just well the next day they go fishing and he's like let me tell you about sex <laughs> basically right yeah, i mean he's he has a, he's not afraid to have the serious talks which I kind of, of just appreciate. It's just like, what are your thoughts on sex? And Trey's like, oh, you know, a man and a woman have sex. And then nine months later, a baby appears. That's pretty much. And then Furious kind of laughs. And he's like, well, it's much more than that. But they don't get into like their conversation about it. It's mostly just to, again, have, have the... Okay, Furious is really just, um, if the movie is meant to teach, Furious is speaking to the audience through his son. Yeah. Right, and this movie is probably the preachiest out of the the three movies we watched during February, Black History Month, right? So you have Jungle Fever, and you have Hanging with the Homeboys, and now you have this one. And this is probably the preachiest of them. Although it's not, it's not over the top. Um, it's it's just presented in these normal scenes. So, yeah, that scene is more about... I don't think it's necessarily talking to Trey, necessarily. <laughs> I think, oh. honestly, like, John Singleton is, like, trying to talk to the audience, like, wrap it up. Like, use a condom. Right. You know, like, he's... Throughout well, this movie, he, he said like, that Furious I... is, is, the, is furious at the state of the world and, and all the systemic racism, and he's trying to, like, take steps to counter that right and he even i mean you learn later on in the movie a little bit that you know he and because you know furious and his mom they were like 17 when they had trey mm-hmm. so i mean he's like yeah i don't want you forward. to follow 
the trap yeah. that so many other people fall yeah. into. Yeah, he's telling him, I don't want you to turn out like, I don't want you to be like, a, he says it, like, I don't want you to be like a homeless person or a drunk or whatever, or a crack addict at that time, at this period. I want you to grow up to be like a responsible young man. Right. And let me teach you the ways starting at age 10. Yeah, because it is going to be difficult. There's yeah, going to be a lot of pressures. Especially with the neighborhood that they live in now. Yeah. And, and then the next day... <laughs> I mean, he's even saying, like, you know, look at your friends. Yeah. Not all of them are going to be able to escape this neighborhood. Yes. They are, like, you are going to see what paths they go down, and I don't want you to go down that same path as your friends are going to. Yeah, and then you the next day after that birds and the bees talk um trey and furious see doughboy and uh the other boy chris who's the other friend being arrested for stealing and then that's like the end of whatever year 1984 and then you fast forward seven years later and it's like a welcome home party for doughboy because he just was released from prison again again yeah. yeah Not from when he was like not from 10. juvie, but from yeah, yeah from another, another incident. And it does they don't really say it because he's now in a he's a, now a gang mem- member, but they don't necessarily say it. But it's like implied. They don't really say yeah you're in this gang. Yeah, you never really see him like hanging out with other gang members unless you unless Chris and Dookie are in the same gang. Right, and then but then they don't show him with anyone else besides those two really so right and then you know trey has just been a longtime friend of theirs that he's just you know a buddy yeah. that doughboy hangs out with because they're kind of like brothers and then this kind of confused me because doughboy's brother ricky are, are they the same age? Um, I don't know. This is what be confused me because they would have had to have been twins, but they're not. Well, we don't know that they're not for sure. They're not identical twins, but that doesn't mean anything. Okay. I was just like wondering because it just showed them at all age 10 but Doughboy and Ricky are brothers and I'm like well who's the elder brother or who's the younger yeah all we know is the one that has but I mean Ricky is probably the same age as Trey because they both have to take the SATs mm-hmm. so Doughboy is probably the older brother this is just or uh, Doughboy is just uh, like yeah, a maybe. high school dropout and he just you know in the gang life yeah. whatever that's what I was thinking about. Yeah, I didn't even think about it, honestly. I just assumed they were brothers. I mean, they could just be, like, a year different, and, yeah. Right. I mean, Doughboy, whether he's older or younger, he <clears throat> is the protector of Ricky and always tries to be. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, that doesn't always well, cause he's present more... itself in the most positive way. Right, he's but... more outspoken. And, you know, quick to confrontation. Yeah. And, you know, uh, because there's the scene earlier on where Ricky's football gets stolen by the... The older The gang older members. kids, you know, the gang members who are just hanging out in the street and just, you know, steal it just to steal it. 
Um, and he tries to get it back. He tries to defend his brother. And he gets beat up by these older kids for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's he's willing to do whatever it takes to, to protect his brother. Even though he knows that it means that his mom will hate him for it sometimes. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of complex relationships that are going on in this this movie and it's not um like i said the movie's not preachy but uh, well i mean it's preachy but it's not like over the top like a lot of these things are just very slice of life very quick sequences that just happen to also say a lot yeah i guess happen isn't the right word it's deliberate but you know so yeah seeing seeing doughboy stick up for ricky there and then later on you know any chance he gets he's even when they fight like he's still like the the defender the movie like i said it does a good job of like showing all these different slices within this so it's not just like pure negative it's not just talking about all you know systemic racism and and all the the troubles that they have to face in south central but there's also you know a lot of the the happier stuff mixed in there too you know like you have the house party scene where it's mostly just enjoyable you know most of the time you don't ever get a sense that the characters are necessarily in danger Mm -hmm. right um and and i'm sure that's also intentional as well to sort of like like you you just from the beginning of the movie you have the sense that something bad is going to happen even if you've never seen it before because it starts off with text that says like one out of 21 african-american men are going to be killed yeah um usually most at the hands of other black men yeah um so when you start a movie like that and you have the you know the subtitle of like increase the peace over the title screen and you have like audio of a drive-by you know uh that leads you to believe that it's not going to have a happy ending. Um, and then, like, the very first actual shot we see is zooming in on a stop sign. So, like, that's clearly trying to send a message right there. But I think it's really important to show the normalcy of the life through these house parties and everything like that and even like from the the car show scene where everyone's that turns violent yeah but you know just like showing like the happiness and you know like look at how you know like this is just a normal occurrence mm-hmm. and it can just escalate naturally so we have a couple different characters here we, we talked about ricky he's we see everything through trey's eyes But weirdly, Ricky is like the epitome of hope in this movie. Um, He's kind of like an all-in-one in in a way. I don't know. It's hard. I don't want to like stereotype anybody, right? But like Ricky is this, the the football prodigy. He's going to be visited by a recruit for USC uh, for a football scholarship. Um, that's, That's been his whole life. But he also has... The kid, yeah. he's already a father. Which I mean, we don't see that. It's just like seven years later. Yeah, when the time jump happens, mm-hmm. one of the first things we see is the crying baby, and then and Ricky's with like Shanice, and you know, and they all live with his mom, the yeah. the girlfriend, Ricky, their baby. 
Yeah. With uh, Mrs. Baker. I don't Brenda. Yeah, Mrs. Baker. Played by Tyra Farrell, who we've seen uh, just recently in Jungle Fever. She was... Um, Warren, yeah. Yeah, she was, she was Warren Good in that one. Also in things like White Men Can't Jump, Poetic Justice, School Days. Uh, also Trials of Rosie O'Neill. She's been in some episodes of that. <laughs> and Square One TV. I finally get to mention Square oh. One TV again. <laughs> um, anyway, she, she plays Mrs. Baker uh, extremely well. Yeah, she's great. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, conflicting emotions within Mrs. Baker <laughs> between her two sons. Right, and it even shows at the very end. They don't show this a lot until close to the end when I mean, Brenda or Mrs. Baker is putting like all her eggs in one basket with Ricky. She's like Doughboy, whatever. He's like a lost, cause. a lost cause. Yeah. I want to focus on my son who wants to be a football player, so I'm gonna spend like my entire life raising him to be like the perfect child. So, I mean, you can... You don't really see that animosity between the brothers until close to the end when Doughboy and Ricky have, like, this is right before Ricky goes to the store and that's, unfortunately, when he gets shot. They have, like, a fight on their front lawn about that. Yeah. He, like, Doughboy's like, oh, you're the perfect child. Like, he's just, you know, sick and tired of, you know, how their mom is just paying more attention to Ricky than, you know, Doughboy, whatever, or Darren. And that's just, like, unfortunate, like, the way, you know, they, the fight breaks up at the end, and then Ricky goes off to the store to pick something up for his girlfriend, and then that's also kind of, like, what makes Doughboy, like, extra angry because their last interaction with each other was a fight yeah and he doesn't ever verbally express the guilt over that he's like oh no, man i wish i would have you can kind of feel it yeah he's he's not gonna i don't know he, and i think what makes it difficult as well is like we can see snippets of how doughboy wants to be more than what he is you see that like both doughboy and chris are have already resigned themselves to being what they are and knowing that they're basically trapped where they are. Right. And that they are probably going to die young. Mm-hmm. Because Chris is already in a wheelchair. Yeah. You know, off, you see you know, that. Sometime within the seven year jump, he had um, been injured or been sh- injured in, in a shootout and he's now in a wheelchair. Doughboy has been in and out of prison a couple times and he talks about, like, he, he has, like, these flashes of intellectual conversations where he tries to sort of like weave that in and everyone else kind of just shoots it down every yeah time he tries. it's yeah he, he'll say something philosophical and then he'll be like yeah i did a lot of reading when i was in prison right and then he's like i also was like lifting a lot of weights whatever yeah and, and i mean obviously part of it is that he he frames it in the the realm of like you know he doesn't say God couldn't be a woman. Yeah. Right? He says God couldn't be a bitch. So like he 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 keeps the crudeness, he keeps the crassness to, you know, have that veneer, you know what I mean? He like he has that shield up still. 
um, which gets him into trouble with people like, you know, Regina King's character, Shalika, yeah. who's hanging out with them. So he's still trying to, you know, maintain that manliness of mm-hmm. things because he thinks, you know, I, well, I can't get my point across if I just speak about this. Normally I have to, you know, inject the, the crude in order to, to say anything. But you, I mean, you can clearly see that Doughboy wants more out of himself, but he knows that it is just not possible for him. Mm-hmm. So he's willing to support and protect Ricky, but he definitely still has resentment because he's going to have these opportunities that he is not going to have because he always felt like he had to protect it, and normally that means through violence. Um. So. I don't know. It, it's a really interesting dynamic, and so yeah, at the end, like he doesn't, he doesn't seem to have re, you know, regret about fighting with his brother as one of their last interactions. Um, and even when like his mom is pushing him away, and like you did this to him, you did this to him. Yeah, because which is just a heartbreaking scene in multiple levels. I mean, yeah, that scene, ugh, like I forgot about that scene. I didn't realize that you know they just. After he was shot, they carry his body to back to, you know, the baker's house. Yeah, for some reason. Yeah. I mean, well, they I don't want to leave him to scene. die, like, on the... Leave him on the ground dying. I mean, he's already yeah. dead. But, but, I mean, it's, it's, like, out of respect, I guess, for his body. And, you know... That but also, don't do like, that if... <laughs> like, if right. you're in that situation... You call Don't. the cops, but I mean, you can't call the cops in this instance because it was like a drive-by. You, it's like, what do you do when, when you're put in that position? You can't... I, I mean... Yes and no. Yeah, I, I understand. I understand don't carry him and bring be Hey, Mom, your son is dead. But it, yeah, that scene, it's like, oh. Like, if you think you're going to get in trouble, you don't have to be on the scene. You can do like, it anonymous you did this tip. Because... Like, hey, I saw this person in this alley. Come help. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway. But we, it's we'll his get brother. into the cop situation. <laughs> yes. I mean, th- that whole scene was, like, heartbreaking. Yeah, she's like, you did this. And she's like, I don't want. And then. He's still trying to be, like, the man of the house because, you know, the girlfriend sees him and, you know, their little baby is screaming and crying, doesn't know what's going on. And Doughboy's like, take him out of here. Take him. He shouldn't be yeah. seeing this. Give me the baby. But she's like, Give, no, she's like, no, touch never him. touch my baby ever again. Like, they're, they're blaming him because, I mean, because of his lifestyle, your brother is dead. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously... It shouldn't have happened, but yeah. if we go back to the like the the instigating scene, it is at the you know at the at the car, car show, show the, yeah the, the, the race. I don't know if it was meant to be a drag race or if it was just meant to be like a car show where everybody I think just, like, it was hangs just like a street racing thing, you know. Um, it, it's tough to know because there's like gunshots that happened shortly after. Ricky bumps into a gang member, and you know they they beef a little bit. Um, to get into it, and then Doughboy shows his gun and be like, "What? You don't want you know, like step back, get away." And then yeah, he's on, like, "What are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do?" And like, then they kind of like, "Are we done here? Are we done here? What?" Yeah. Like, um, and then a few minutes later, or the gang member pulls a machine gun out of the trunk and just fires it in the air, and everyone just disperses, jets yeah. out. So 
but yeah, it's because Ricky bumped into this guy and then they basically just, you know, did, wanted to act tough and be like, what, what, what do yeah. you want? Like, what do you want? Like, who's the bigger man now? Um, so that's what made Ricky the target is mm-hmm. because he bumped into this guy. Yes. And then Doughboy reacted, reacted by as the protector gun. Yeah. and showed his gun. Yes. And so it escalated. So, um, so yeah, who's to blame (laughs) is like a a weird thing because, you know, everybody, but, um, you know, it really depends on like what level of blame you want to put it on. But the mom is going to blame Doughboy no matter what everyone else is. And he's, he's trying to keep something of a level head and be like, look, this is the situation. Like, let's, let's get the kid out of here. And he knows that his mom already hated him. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, okay, well, this is, it's over now. Um, and he's, again, he's just, he's just trapped. Trey's there as well. So Trey and Ricky saw the car that was going to do the drive by. They were able to duck into an alley and then they decided to split off for whatever reason. Ricky thought that was the best thing to do. Um, so it's just those two who are in the alley. So like Doughboy and Chris and everyone else, Dookie, they're not there. Yeah, they're at home. But they're, they're at home. That store that they go to is not far from their home because once Trey and Ricky duck through the house, like going through the yard, that car is driving around and drives past you know, the baker's house, like, drives quickly to, like, check to see if, you know, they were there at the house. And that's when Doughboy's like, oh, shit. Yeah. That's Something's them. happening there after Ricky. Let's go find them. Yeah. Yep. So. But, I mean, it was too late. Yeah, so they definitely tried. Um, but, yeah, Trey is there, and he thinks he could have done something to help as well because he was the one who was physically there he saw it happening and he was running towards Ricky as he was getting shot out the window by the shotgun. And so now, like, this this is, like, the big push. This is sort of, like, everything is coming to a head here because Trey is now carrying Ricky's body, you know, with, with Doughboy. Mm-hmm. And now he's ready for revenge. He's basically yeah, he's like, like, this like, is this is it. I, you know, like, the, you know, this is You know, this my best friend's my dead, point. yeah. I need to... Um, he's angry, and it's like, I need to do something about this. Right. And he goes straight to his house, like, into his dad's room or whatever, because his dad has a gun, gets the gun. And then his dad... Because we see the dad in an earlier scene in 1984 shooting at an intruder. Yeah. But missing. And his dad is like, what were you going to do about this? Like, there's nothing that can be done. Like, he's dead. That's, like, unfortunately, that's, you know... Like, my heart goes out to them, but what's done is done. Yeah, like, that's their business. It's not up to you to settle the score. Yeah. All this kind of stuff. Like, trying to talk them down. There's... It, it's a really powerful moment. Mm, and yet he's like, if you're angry, shoot at me. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, he just, like, pushes his dad aside. He's like, no, I'm going to go off with, you know, Doughboy yeah. and... Give, give me a gun. Give me, give me the gun or shoot me. Um... And you also have, we haven't really talked about Brandy either. 
uh, you know, Brandy's there trying to also to settle trade yeah. down a bit. Uh, she's there for a couple of the key moments in, in this whole situation. Um, but yeah, eventually Brandy comes in and, and notices that he has escaped out the window and sees him driving off with Doughboy to, to go after him. Right. And then we see Chris, who can't go along because he's in the wheelchair. It's... He just he he sees he sees all this happening and, and he sees them drive off with with train side and he's he's basically acting like all of us where he just puts his head down and says like damn because he mm-hmm. knows that Trey is meant for something better as well yeah the, it's that's the one thing it's like you know Trey is friend he all of Trey's friends are like gang members but you don't see them like trying to lure Trey into their gang or anything no. Like, oh, why don't you become one of us or something like that. There, there's, like, no talk about no. that. And it's like they all just respect that, I guess. They're like, oh, he's, you know, they all grew up together. It's like, yeah, we know that, you know, if he did join the gang that, you know, they all see his father as, like, a scary man. They're mm-hmm. like, if you, there was even a time where Doughboy said it. It's like, yeah, if you did that, your father would have kicked your ass or kill you or something. Mm-hmm. So they all know that Trey's, like, a responsible He's, like, off kid. limits, yeah. Yeah, he's, like, all, yeah, off limits to, like, being a part of this gang life. So, like, everyone's surprised to see Trey go off with Doughboy and, you know, it was Dookie and then the other guy Monster. Monster, yep. <clears throat> And, I mean, they're just driving around looking for their, the other guys where, you know, Trey's just, like, halfway through and he's like, get me out of this car. Yeah, they've been cruising around, it's now nighttime, and he's like, yeah, just, like, let me out, let me out. And so he It's like, I can't do this. And, I mean, and then, you know, Doughboy, he doesn't, they don't, that's, like, the interesting part. They don't, like say, oh, come on, man, you gotta do this for Ricky. Right. Like, Doughboy respects him and says, yeah. okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, like, you don't want to do this, I'm fine with that. You don't need to be a part of it, I'll drop you off. Yeah. This movie does a great job of that. There's so yeah. much, um, like, the, the situations are melodramatic, but the dialogue is not. You know, and that's, that's difficult to do. It's really hard to pull off where you have like these scenes that are poignant and meaningful and not have the characters be heavy handed with some of the stuff that they're saying. Even when Mrs. Baker is like yelling at Doughboy and be like, you did this, you killed my son. It doesn't feel heavy handed. It doesn't feel over the top. It's, it's just visceral in the moment, like pure reactionary anger. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, like, I think most movies, like, 9 out of 10 movies, if not more, would have Doughboy be like, no, man, come on, let's go get, like, this is for Ricky, we gotta yeah, do this. Yeah, exactly, because you see a lot and, of like, movies force, like that. And Forcing. force Trey to say to the audience what his feelings are, uh-huh. whereas this movie just expects us to understand what Trey's feelings are, because it's showing us through the acting. Mm-hmm. And again, that's that's surprisingly rare in movies, uh, but it's all over the place in this one. Um, I think even when Doughboy does finally catch up to those people, and he he 
shoots and kills. Yeah, all they three of they the find him at like a burger joint or something. Yeah, some random fast food place. And um, catches him in like a mall parking lot. Yeah, shoots him. Shoots them down and then gets out of the car to to do some finishing shots while the yeah, monster. And they're not Dookie fully like, dead. Hey, no, let's get let's get out of here. And even I forget what the name of the guy was. Um, he's Ferris. Like, yeah, Ferris. He's like, yeah, fuck you, man. Come on, like, just shoot me. Like, what the fuck? Fuck you. Well, because <laughs> he was like, I wasn't the one that. Yeah, it wasn't my sh- fault. I didn't like, actually I didn't pull shoot, the trigger. Yeah, I didn't shoot him. As if that, yeah, mattered. But whatever. That he's got to kill whoever was in that car. Yeah, like, like well, they all have you, to die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you can see in Doughboy's expressions and, and his I, this is like also very good because he starts as he's shooting ferris he's like crying yeah with the blood spattered on his face too. yeah it's another... we should mention like this is ice cube's debut mm-hmm. movie um so i mean we know him as an actor in all kinds of different stuff like the friday series and are we there yet higher learning barbershop and all this kind of stuff but like this was his very first movie, and everybody is amazing in this. Just everybody is. Um, he was specifically recruited for this role by John Singleton. Um, partly, I think, because of his work with NWA. Yeah. Uh, if not exclusively. Um, and you can, I mean... NWA kind of like laid the groundwork for this movie, in a sense, I would say, with some of the. Well, yeah, some of the lyrics sub- are. Yeah, their subject matter. Yeah, this is like one of they were like one of the first rap groups to talk about like their lives growing up in South Central LA, or at least have it catch on. Yeah, in the public eye. That became, yeah, that became popular it was like them and like public enemy and so like ice tea is what it's like those three groups yeah it's funny you mentioned ice tea as well because like john singleton apparently like hates ice tea colors <laughs> oh <laughs> the song did, color did the, no the movie colors which oh. ice tea did the soundtrack for because oh. he's like well why is this in the perspective of a white cop mm. um and like yeah like i guess there's it was a trivia on imdb where um someone who produced the movie colors went to his film school gave a lecture and john singleton's like well you know like why does this have to be in the perspective of a white white cop like this isn't really telling our story he's like well but ice t did the soundtrack he's like yeah but ice t didn't write the fucking movie yeah yeah you know (laughs) and so um and that's why John Singleton had to write and direct this. Like, he's like, I'm not putting this in the hands of anyone else. Like, I, I need to tell this story. This is where I grew up. Honestly, like, Trey is based largely off of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, because he did live with his mother and then moved to uh, live with his father during around the same time period. So, he knows these locations. He knows these characters and it's it's interesting that this i don't know this is showing a side of life that is just largely unseen by many like like it's a microcosm of of life that just really doesn't yeah or it's like didn't get talked about like Like, it's kind of i guess ignored because it's like which is what doughboy says at the end 
Yeah. Like, no one cares about, like... There was even a part where, like, Furious... When he's, like, a finance guy? What does he... <laughs> he's a mortgage broker. Oh, a mortgage broker. Okay, because I was like, I know he has his own business, but it was, like, financial stuff. Uh-huh. And he's... There's a whole scene where he's talking about gentrification... Yeah, he's he, like he how we need to, to keep this. And shows like a billboard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's like we need to keep this community black if we try to prevent this. But he's like it's hard because it's like we're killing each other on these streets. It's it's a really interesting scene for a couple different reasons. And it's just like Throughout the movie, it's like you hear helicopters oh, going by, yeah. sirens, like it's just constant, and that's just their everyday normal lives. They, it's like it doesn't phase anyone. Yeah, um, I, I want to get back to the 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 talk part yeah. really quickly here. So he he takes Ricky and Trey to Compton, um, and they're afraid to be there, but. Furious is, is right there, you know, just looking at the billboard and empty, empty lot. And you can see that there's like, you know, what we assume to be gang members mm-hmm. crowded around. And you have like an older man, uh, played by Whitman Mayo, who's like Grady and Sanford and son. Um, and they're all listening to him, them, him talk. And he's basically like looking at the billboard and like, look, this is a problem. This is gentrification. They're, they're trying to take our neighborhoods away from us. And this crowd gathers around him as he's giving his speech um and then they're getting involved in the conversation there's like a little back and forth in there which is which is interesting and you know like one of the members is like well if somebody comes up to me i'm gonna have to like pop back yeah like I, i have to like protect myself i have to you know retaliate you know and and the old man he's like well it's because of all these drugs everything's like Everyone's pushing drugs. Everyone's using drugs. And Furious is like, well, we're not bringing the drugs in. Mm-hmm. They're they're purposely killing us. Like, there's liquor stores on every corner. Yeah. There's gun stores on every corner. That ain't happening in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. So why do you think that is? And I think it's really interesting, you know, like, you can't... Like, what you were saying about having to retaliate, that's playing right into what they want you to do. They want you to kill each other yeah they want us to be self-destructive um and i think this is one of the first movies that really talks about that we see a lot of movies deal with overt racism but very few up to this point that i can think of have dealt with the systemic racism discussion at all which i think is becoming more and more widely accepted these days but obviously there's still a long long way way to go yeah and but it is becoming like now 30 years later a little bit more widely accepted that yes our system and institutions have been set up in such a way mm-hmm. like in also causing like internalized racism yeah and yeah self-hate so yeah and you see that with that one cop and but before you even get into that the other thing i wanted to say that i think was interesting about the gentrification thing is like the people who needed to hear this most in the movie were not there like Doughboy needed to hear that conversation. Yeah, it's you but know, it was Chris needed Trey to hear that conversation. And, what was it? Chris? 
No, it was it was Trey and Ricky. Oh, Ricky. Okay, because I thought it was the other guys too. Because after that, I guess Ricky was like, "Is your dad a preacher?" Because he's right. what he said was like very poignant or whatever. Yeah. I thought it was the other guys, like Dookie or whatever. No, but I, okay. those are the people who needed to yeah, hear. Yeah, they it. need to hear it, and they didn't. And I wonder, like, I'm assuming that that had to have been intentional as well, like. Would that message have resonated enough with Doughboy that it, the ending would have changed if he would have mm. heard that conversation? You know, I probably not because they st- he's still gonna retaliate and avenge his brother's death. I it's think. it's certainly possible considering how Trey reacted, but you never know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about the the cop, cop situation because it happens twice, right? So we talked about how Furious shoots at an intruder in the beginning of the movie. Uh, someone breaks into his house. Uh, he grabs the gun and he shoots, but he misses. You see the bullet holes in the door. You see uh, a shoe left behind, but, you know, didn't get him. And Trey's reaction is, man, I wish he would have, you know... Killed him. Killed like, him. Yeah. And Fury's like, don't say that. Like, we don't need to be killing each other. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you know... And, and so the cops arrive an hour after the break-in, which is also, you know... Another a very quick little subtle commentary. Yeah. Um, and you have a, a black and a white cop coming in, and, and the black cop is doing all of the, the talking, and he is really, really racist. <laughs> he's, like, against black people. Yeah, he's, like, treats Furious with contempt, and it's, like, the you see the white cop who's being civil he's like okay can you name like can did you see the perpetrator do you know like any like he's trying to be accommodating like trying to write down a report or whatever yeah and the other cop is like no let me take over and yeah he's then, like yeah we didn't ask you that we you know you didn't say that and it's like was anything stolen it's like, no, he didn't get anything before I shot at the door. He's like, okay, good, then we don't have to write up a report. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just, yeah, tons of contempt. Right, and then he just gives Furious a hard time, like, even just calling him the N-word. Yeah, and he's like, well, do you know, like... Like, we don't need your kind on the these streets right? type of thing. And he says... Um, you know, like, he, he can tell he can tell that Furious is getting angry, and he says, you know, is there a problem? And Furious right. is like, yeah, I just wish you knew that it, what it was. Right. <laughs> I just wish you understood And then he just, the like, pulls was. a gun. The the cop pulls a gun on him, and then he, he's doing I this. I don't know if he does in the oh, first Oh, does he? Uh, he definitely pulls it on Trey. On Trey, the yeah. The second encounter Where, that we see the same But that guy. was right after that, um... That street racing gathering. Yeah, where everyone's everyone running away. Dispersed. Everyone's everyone's driving away, and the cops happen to pull over Trey and Ricky, who are in the car together just by themselves. Um, Doughboy and them got mm-hmm. away in in the other cars, and so yeah, it's it's the exact same white cop and black cop that we saw from seven years earlier. They're still partners, and at this point, like the black cop really says the quiet parts out loud. Yeah, he like pulls a gun straight onto N words, and yeah, yeah, he pulls the gun and puts it against Trey's neck, um, and basically it's just like, give me a reason, like for me to not kill you or whatever. It's like you, it's like you, your people that's giving this neighborhood a bad name or whatever, and yeah. then it's like because of you young kids, blah blah blah, and you know Trey's just 
He's not doing anything. He's just, he's crying. Yeah, but he's, he's, not, he's trying to answer the questions. As, he can't as because he's got a everything. gun to him. But yeah, he's extremely helpless and just at this mercy of a racist cop. And again, it sort of goes back to the NWA lyrics. I mean, this is where I first became aware of that whole type of situation where you have, you know, in, in Fuck the Police, where he's saying, if you get pulled over, don't let it be a black and a white one. Because <laughs> the black oh. one is going to... Uh, going to be the tough one. Yeah, like he's... The lyric is really like, black police showing up for the white cop. Yeah. You know, like playing it up to appease their partner. Yes. Um, I mean, you even... That's... Even now, that's happening still. Yeah. Fortunately. And so, I mean, what I found interesting about those scenes as well is that the white cop seemed apologetic. But yeah, in he, these doesn't, situations. he doesn't. He's like, I can't do anything about him. Yeah, but he doesn't try to stop him. No, he doesn't him. try to stop him, but he's like giving this like smirking, like, I'm sorry about this, guys. I don't know. Yeah, I'm. He's oh. just my partner. But he doesn't say anything. No. He's just like. Oh, well, he does this all the time or whatever. Yeah. It's a weird... <laughs> it's weird. Um, but there's there's a lot of scenes... I mean, yeah, and then not after like that, that just in general... Like he that, just, like, break... Trey just, like, breaks down, and he's kind of like, I need to get out of here. Like, I, that was, like, one of the main things throughout this whole movie is, like... After he's done with high school, he wants to get out. Like, that's his thing with his girlfriend, Brandy. They want to go to college together or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to be in that neighborhood anymore. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, even when you have things going relatively well for yourself, most yeah. people want to just leave and do something different. Yeah, but he's so like, I really need to get out of here. when you're experiencing all these different things, like when you're a kid and you're walking home from school and you see people getting, like, beat up and bum-rushed in, in, like, a dice game that went wrong, or you mm -hmm. see, you know, random dead bodies. Like, you have a couple of, like, stand-by-me references in this where it's like, y'all want to see a dead body, and all that yeah. on the train tracks, and they just, they just go and do that. Um, and, you know, stuff like that, it, it's... You know, you have friends who are in wheelchairs, and you have people in and out of prison, and yeah, you have, like, like, people letting their babies run around in the streets because they're drug addled mm -hmm. and like yeah of course you'll want to get away from that and like you said like the helicopter is all around which you know there's a big subplot about him and his relationship with brandy and you know she wants to save herself for marriage and you know he's trying to you know just form a relationship and actually you know have sex for the first time basically. right there's like a point in where like all the guys are talking about getting with girls and then yeah, that's like the most peer pressure he experiences is on the right. relationship side rather than anything else. Um, but and they also just, you know, they just rib him for it. It's like, like oh, even yeah, his you're never dad gonna get has even asked him. <laughs> right. Um, and he lies about it. Which I thought that was interesting because, like, with the Stand By Me thing, it's like Trey is like the Will Wheaton character because he makes up a story. About, oh, yeah, I went to this I, girl's house, and, mm. you know, while her parents and her grandma went to church, I snuck in, and we were in the middle of it, and then her grandma come in and came in. Like, it, it's mm -hmm. an obvious, like, fake story, and it made me think of, like, the Will Wheaton character and Stand By Me telling, like, that throw-up story. Oh, the pie-eating Yeah, the pie-eating contest. 
And then I was thinking, like, oh, is he, is he going to become a writer because of, like, that elaborate story he told? Yeah, um, we don't really I do I don't that. even know why he, like, they showed that or did that part, but whatever. I don't know. I mean, it really could be another Stand By Me reference because yeah. there is that train tracks thing and then also and then just seeing the, the very dead end, body, yeah. Uh, also the very end as well yeah. where, you know, the character walking and fading out with, you know, the epilogue of what mm. happened. I think that's also supposed to be a reference. So, but yeah, I mean, we never really get a sense as to what Trey's actual aspirations are for the future. Like, we don't know what he wants to do with himself. We know what Ricky wants to do with himself. So that's why I was saying he's right. more like the epitome of hope because he has He has dreams. a goal. He yeah. has a kid that he wants to be a father to. Yeah. Trey is just kind of like trying to survive, but he, he lacks purpose. He doesn't know what he wants to do. He just knows what he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things he thinks he's supposed to be is sexually active, and so that's why he really pushes on Brandy to, to get I mean, on. they after that thing with the cop, he is distraught by it, and he goes yeah, he to Brandy's. he breaks down. And they eventually do have sex, and that sex scene reminded me of sort of that sex scene in Rage in Harlem. Like, they show, like... They pan over, like, a leg. I don't know. It's just, like... It kind of just makes me laugh, the way they show, like, love scenes during these times. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't get that impression at all. And I think part of it is because you were talking about how, like, the helicopters are always around. Yeah, the helicopters are still around. The helicopters are around while they are having sex. Yeah. And, like, that's... You know, framing it in that context where you have the scene before it is him nearly getting murdered by a cop, and then he's having an emotional breakdown, and now while they're making love, there's obviously like a helicopter police or news presence or both overhead looking for something notorious. So like it's it's framed in such a way that it's. You know, I didn't get the comedic aspect of it, but I think when sure, they like, they showed like their bot like their bodies, the way the camera like pans over like her butt and the legs mm. and stuff, and I'm just like, oh god, I don't know. Yeah, it, but I mean, I think it's also supposed to be showing like the contrast of this romantic moment kind of being ruined by the outside world <laughs> and you know, like never being able to fully escape what's around them. I want to talk about like the mom because we haven't talked about her a whole lot Angela Bass's character where um, at some point like near the end she talks about bringing him back you know mm-hmm. take let's get you out of there and like you were saying he does want to escape but he kind of just wants to see things through and just leave for college straight off he doesn't want to like move to his mom's, his mom's and then yeah. go to college he's like yeah. no this is like this is my home now like there's still that that sense of belonging and pride of where you're from, no matter how shitty it is. And you see her, like... But you see her glow up. Like, you see... Yeah, she's, like, like in a nice apartment or something, but you don't know exactly where. No, I don't... Yeah, we don't know. And I thought it was... Because in the epilogue, he goes to... He and Brandy go to Atlanta. They go to two different colleges. They're, like, across... Morehouse and Spelman, which I think, you know, are men and women it's only colleges. oh okay so and um 
It made me think, was Angela Bassett in Atlanta? But, I mean, they don't no, say. I don't think they just so. show her, like, in a really nice apartment. No, I think she just, she was finally able to finish her master's and yeah. get her career going. Right. Um, because, yeah, like, one of the first scenes is the white teacher making all kinds of false assumptions about her and her right. life because of her race and her kid happened to act out in school. Um, but, yeah, like, it's like, like you know I'm, I'm gonna make myself something of myself and it's tough for me to do with you here plus i need your dad to teach you things that you're not learning from me so you're off um but they also have a conversation riva and furious they meet up and talk about things and they have a nice little back and forth things like no like you're doing what you're supposed to do you don't get to you know, you know what i mean like Yes, you've been taking care of him for X amount of years, but you don't get to play the bigger man card here. Like, mm-hmm. and they have like a nice little exchange between the two of them, talking about just parenthood in general and everything. That I thought was a, a nice, nice little inclusion in there as well. Uh, but yeah, the the final thing after Doughboy catches up and kills everybody, he has that conversation, like we were saying. Where he's like, I, I haven't been up this early in forever because I was, I couldn't sleep and I watched the news. And it's all about stuff that's going on in the foreign countries. Probably referencing like Iraq and, you know, right. Desert Storm and all these things that are starting to happen around here. It's like nothing about my brother. It's like clearly this world doesn't care about us or they don't know or... And Doughboy was like, you know, I'm glad you didn't stay for that because you didn't need to see that. Mm-hmm. And then he's kind of just, you know, low. And Trey's like, well, you will always have a brother in me. And they kind of just do like a fist bump hug thing. And Doughboy pours out his 40 mm-hmm. and just goes back home. And that's when they just have the text saying two weeks later, he was murdered. Yeah. It's... No, it's it's unsettling, but it's also expected, right? And I think that's sort of what the movie is. Yeah, it's kind of like Doughboy knew he was going to die. Yeah. Yeah, Because of what he just did. I mean, it's just like a nonstop... It's just nonstop retaliation. It's like someone's gonna die no matter what. Yeah, it's a cycle, and that's sort of what the movie's trying to hint at is that it's you know like there's no stop to it. Because... It's a cycle. Let's let's stop the cycle. Like I said, the very first shot is on a stop sign. Mm-hmm. You know? It's it's not it's not subtle about a lot of the points that it's making, but it's also again not over the. T- um, so cast and crew, we got John Singleton as the director, writer, and also as a cameo as the mailman that delivers the SAT scores shortly before Ricky passes away. And yes, he would have gotten into college with his score of 710. Uh, John Singleton is Emmy-nominated for American Crime Story and also L.A. Burning, The Riots 25 Years Later, Image Award winner for American Crime Story and also Four Brothers. As a writer and director, he did Poetic Justice, Higher Learning, Shaft, the 2000 remake, uh, Baby Boy, and the Snowfall TV series as a director, but not a writer. He did Rosewood, Too Fast, Too Furious, and the Michael Jackson Remember the Time video. And he passed away a few years back. It's like my favorite video of his. Of, of, of Michael, Michael Jackson's. Jackson's. <laughs> uh, Angela Bassett we talked about. 
as Reva or Reva Styles, Oscar nominated and Golden Globe winner for What's Love Got to Do with It. Uh, also, Golden Globe winner for Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. We don't know yet if she'll win her Oscar for that. Emmy nominated for Rosa Parks Story, American Horror Story, and many others. Saturn Award winner for Strange Days, Image Award winner for Malcolm X, What's Love Got to Do with It, Waiting to Exhale, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, Music of the Heart, The Score, Ruby's Bucket of Blood, Sunshine State, ER, Black Nativity, and 911. Also, MTV Movie Award nominee for the Best Female Performance for What's Love Got to Do with It, and she's also in a bunch of other 1991, 1991 movies we haven't talked about. Line of Fire, The Morris D Story, Fire, Trapped on the 37th Floor, The Heroes of Desert Storm, Locked Up, A Mother's Rage, One Special Victory, and City of Hope. Just a bunch of stuff that she's in. Uh, Morris Chestnut played Ricky Baker, Image Award winner for Nurse Jackie, nominated for Best Man, Best Man Holiday, Rosewood, the TV series, not associated with John Singleton as the director, um, and also Best Man Final Chapters. He's also in Last Boy Scout for 1991. Uh, we already talked about Ice Cube. Lawrence Fishburne played Furious Styles. I don't think we ever mentioned that he was the one who played yeah, Furious this whole time. Uh, amazing performance by Lawrence Fishburne. I got to know him from Pee Wee's Playhouse, where apparently he met John Singleton, and that possibly led to his role in this movie, because John Singleton was a PA or security for Pee Wee's Playhouse um, and, and showed the script to both Paul Rubens and Lawrence Fishburne. He's... Also in the color purple, but for he's like one of the guys in the band, like a saxophone player mm. or something. And he's like the guy that warns Oprah to not slap that woman. He's been in a ton of <laughs> stuff. Um, he's also been in things like Apocalypse Now. In 1991, he's in Class Action. Obviously, people know him for uh, The Matrix, where he won an MTV Movie Award for Best Fight and also nominated for Best Duo. Uh, Oscar nominated for What's Love Got to Do With It as well because, you know, he's with Angela Bassett in that movie. Is, uh, they both got Oscar nominated for, for those roles. Emmy Award winner for Tribeca and Miss Evers Boys as a producer and also uh, hashtag free Rayshon. Nominated for Tuskegee Airmen, Thurgood, where he played Thurgood Marshall, and then Blackish. Uh, Spirit Award winner for Deep Cover as well. But yeah, he's been in a ton of stuff like Contagion, CSI, Aquila and the Bee. Um, Cuba Gooding Jr. playing Trey Styles, Golden Globe nominee and Oscar winner for Jerry Maguire, Emmy Award nominee for playing O.J. Simpson in American Crime Story, Image Award winner for Radio, Gifted Hands, The Ben Carson Story, Firelight, nominated for Tuskegee Airmen, Outbreak, What Dreams May Come, Men of Honor, The Butler, Book of Negroes, Razzie nominated for Boat Trip, Fighting Temptations, Radio, Daddy Day Camp and Norbit. So, uh, Regina King, this is her feature debut, but she had been on TV for a few years on the sitcom 227, which is where I would have seen her first. Oscar and Golden Globe winner for If Beale Street Could Talk, Emmy Award winner for American Crime uh, two times over, and also Seven Seconds and Watchmen. Golden Globe nominated for directing One Night at Miami. She's done a lot of TV directing as well. She's done various episodes of several different series. Uh, Spirit Award winner for Beale Street and One Night in Miami. Um, and also Image Award winner for Ray, Southland, and American Crime. Uh, Nia Long played Brandy, who is award, Image Award winner for The Best Man in Third Watch. 
nominated for her work on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Love Jones, Big Mama's House, and If These Walls Could Talk Too, uh, along with several others. Uh, I just want to quickly mention that Chris was played by Reggie Green. This was his last role, but he, I, as far as I know, he just like stopped acting. I don't see anything showing why. Um, but he was naturally in a wheelchair from being shot at six years old mm. as a result of uh, most likely gang violence that he was in the crossfire of. And then Dookie was played by Dedrick D. Gilbert. Uh, he was in a couple other John Singleton movies, Poetic Justice and Higher Learning, but he passed away in 1994 when he was shot at a drag race at 22 years old. Um, last thing I want to do is uh, talk about Nicole Brown, who played Brandy at age 10, because she has had a very prolific career uh, after the fact as well, <laughs> weirdly. Uh, she was Nicole in Kids Incorporated, last season of that show, and then she went on to be a very prolific producer of the Harold and Kumar series, uh, several Seth Rogen pictures, and she is now the president of TriStar Pictures, producing things like Baby Driver, I Want to Dance with Somebody, and The Woman King. Uh, in terms of awards, at the Oscars it was nominated for Best Screenplay and Best Director, uh, which made John Singleton the youngest and first African-American person to be nominated for Best Director. Image Award winner for Outstanding Motion Picture. Weirdly, at the Kids' Choice Awards, it was nominated for Favorite Actor for Ice Cube. That's so weird. And also Favorite Movie uh, at the Kids' Choice Awards. Kids, I'm just, <laughs> Boys I'm in just the Hood, imagining. Favorite Movie nomination. <laughs> Uh, at the MTV Movie Awards, which makes more sense. Yeah. It was part of the quotes montage. I'm not sure what quote. Uh, also nominated for Best Movie and the winner of the Best New Filmmaker. And the movie itself was added to the National Film Registry in 2002, which is probably the first year it was eligible for that honor. Huge box office success. Uh, one of the biggest, most profitable, mo profitable movies of the year, uh, considering budget versus worldwide gross it was in the top 25 of box office performance so on to ranking i'm sorry on to true crime and pop culture okay this movie was released on july 12 1991 which was a friday which was the same day as point break and i'm gonna talk about the murder of lloyd avery the second who played knuckle in knucklehead number two which he had a poignant role because he was the one that shot at ricky he was the one with the shotgun out the window out the window yes so lloyd avery the second he was an up-and-coming actor who was murdered in 2005 by his prison cellmate for a satanic ritual and he's most known for this role in boys in the hood, but he was also in um, Poetic Justice as Thug, and then he was in Don't Be a Menace to South Central While Drinking Your Juice in the Hood. He's been in a few other movies. Like, he was... After Boys in the Hood, he became an aspiring actor, and I read that while on the set of Boys in the Hood, everyone had to be there, even if you weren't, like, in a scene. John Singleton just wanted everyone to be there. Okay. And when it came to the part where he had to shoot out the window, 
he was known as being like a method actor and all the other actors on the set noticed that and he was just like trying to build himself up to you know be like a mean thug and he's just like you know leave me alone like he was giving everyone attitude but it was just him to psych himself up for this one shot and then him the first that the first take with him coming out you see his face and shooting that was the only take so he just did it like perfectly according to john singleton so i mean i used a couple of websites there's true crime report dot news there was like a blog entry about him and then there's this website the true crime database.com which has like the entire like his entire history but i'm not gonna talk about his entire life history um so he started to become more after this movie was released he started to become more involved in the la gang life and in the late 90s early 2000s he murdered two rival gang members and then he was still shooting for other movies at that time so he was kind of like on the run okay but it was mostly him just going to different shoot like the cops found him where he was in the movie the movie's called shot it came out in 2001 where the cops found him and he was in like new mexico and he was charged with a double homicide and was sentenced to life in prison so while in prison lloyd chose to turn his life over to christ and became very involved in the prison's church and later on in his sentence he was moved over to the pelican bay state prison to for the continuance of his sentence and he was put in the cell with a satan worshiper by the name of kevin roby and kevin roby was also a paranoid schizophrenic so Roby was sentenced to life in prison for sexual assault and murder of his sister, which he stated was, quote, an attempt to appease Satan. And as Lloyd was continuing his religious studies, I guess he was trying to convert Roby to Christianity and, you know, pissed him off. And Roby killed him i'm not gonna say like why because i mean i should have just given a trigger warning but roby knocks him out over the head with an object strangles him to death and then lloyd isn't found by the correction office uh, found dead by the correctional officers for two days you know like before you know, before you go to bed or whatever, you know, the correctional officers have to account for every prisoner. Right. And Roby was kind of doing like a weekend at Bernie's type mm. thing where like he like tied strings on him or something to be like, oh, yeah, he's alive oh, still. Okay. And then two days later, he used Lloyd's body in a human sacrifice for Satan. So he used Lloyd's blood 
and made a pentagram and did other shit to his body. And then the correctional officers found his dead body and they thought, I don't know why, they tried to resuscitate him, but I mean, they found out that he was already like going through rigor mortis because he's been two days dead. So that caused Roby to get another life sentence. I mean, he's still alive and in prison. So Lloyd Avery's family blamed the prison for negligence in Lloyd's murder. And because of that, they thought that they should never have put Kevin in the same cell as Lloyd because of him being a known Satanist. And even Roby filed a complaint against the prison because he's like, I never wanted a Christian cellmate. Mm. It was, I, I don't like him. Fuck him. But there's like um, there's also I didn't listen to this, but we can put this on the website if anyone cares. There, uh, Roby, who also goes by the name of Satanic Christ, which is S A T A N N I C, Christ. He did uh, a podcast called Criminal Perspective, and I didn't feel like listening to it because I was like, I hate this guy. They didn't think there was any fault with the correctional officers, but the family, Lloyd's family, appealed to the state attorney general. And the, this was like all the way up until 2007. Following the appeal in 2007, five of the officers involved were found guilty of misconduct and received disciplinary action ranging from 5% cut pay for 45 days to 10% pay cut for six months. Okay. And, you know, that pissed off the family just saying, they just said, they just got a little tap on the hand. And then even as of November of 2020, the correctional officers that found Avery's body, they refused to comment and they were like, all these officers are now like retired and they're like, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. But they have no reason to. Yeah. And yeah, the Roby, whatever this guy is still in prison because he's serving two life sentences and he did that one podcast and that podcast was like two years ago. Okay. I'm just going to talk about the soundtrack. So the soundtrack was released on July 9th, 1991, and it made it to number 12 on the Billboard 100 album charts, and it spawned two major singles. The first one is that Tevin Campbell Just Ask Me To song. It's played during their barbecue scene. Mm-hmm. And that peaked at number 88 on the Billboard 100, and then it was number 9 on the R&B hip-hop songs. And then the second one was the Tony 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 song called Just Me and You. That was during that weird montage where Trey was trying to get Brandy to sleep with him. Okay. Like the phone conversations or whatever. Yeah, like when are you going to show me some skins or something like yeah. that, that part? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then a third one, which it wasn't released 
Well, it was on this soundtrack, but it wasn't like a hit single was, you know, the song How to Survive in South Central, which was at the end credits by Ice Cube. That song is also on his album Death Certificate. That was his third album at the time. And then something I just saw was that the Academy Museum in L.A. is having an upcoming event coming soon. By the time this episode comes out, it'll be out. But it's um, an exhibit where it's significant movies and movie makers and it's showcasing the movie Boys in the Hood where it spotlights the production of Boys in the Hood, the groundbreaking depiction of black life in South Central LA and the film's lasting legacy. And that's starting in February, 2023, going all the way until March 17th, 2024. So we'll move on to rankings and ratings. Where on your one to five star scale are you going to put boys in the hood? I'm gonna give this a five. Yeah, two weeks in a row. Perfect mm-hmm. scores. You got the five on my zero to four star scale. I'm also giving it a four stars. It's it's a very easy decision to say this is a four star movie. Every movie is worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's very emotional at times it's very you know a lot of difficult subject matter but it's um it, it's, it's like amazing. one of the best movies i don't know best movies ever made i which i mean still to this day it, it really makes me wonder like why i haven't watched more john singleton i stuff. used to look i was obsessed with poetic justice and uh, mainly because Janet Jackson was in it, and I, I love Janet Jackson. And like and weirdly, the only things I've seen of his are Shaft and Too Fast, Too Furious. Which are like... Which is like, you know, whatever. Kind which, of like cheesy... Yeah. <laughs> cheesy fun movies. Yeah. Not, you know, important movies. Right. I need to, I need to, I need to flesh that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you out there want to watch Poison in the Hood as of this recording in February 2023, it's available on Stars, Digital Rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. You can listen to an, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind.gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and YouTube. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're done with the good movies. We're looking at the Razzies, starting with Hudson Hawk. It's available on digital rental, VHS, or DVD. We'll see you then. Thanks.